Welcome to the Practical Church Revitalization Podcast. We look at revitalization in real time, examining the ups and downs of revitalizing and replanting historic and legacy churches throughout New England and the U.S. Now here's your hosts. Welcome back to the Practical Church Revitalization Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Don McKinnon, pastor of Legacy Church in Sutton, Massachusetts. And with me is my podcast co-host, uh, Eric Malloy, pastor at First Church in Charlestown, in Charlestown, Massachusetts. That's that's really, yeah, uh, never mind. I was going to say, that's really kind of redundant, you know, Charlestown in Charlestown, Massachusetts. Everybody knows. I, I just say First Church in Charlestown, Massachusetts. There's also Charlestown, Rhode Island. In my defense, yeah, but but all you have to do is add Massachusetts. Yeah. You know, you know it's, it's kind of like when we were first First Baptist of Sutton. You know, I just say First Baptist Sutton, Mass. <laughs> all right, and then we have a special guest with us. Um, we're continuing our our series here as we um a series. Man, what, 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 get ready to <laughs> series. Our interviews, um, <laughs> a series of interviews, um, with uh, one of the candidates for presidency of the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. We have Ed Litton, um, and I'll, we'll, we'll let you, him in. I actually just got corrected on how to say his name right, so we'll uh, we'll just be, uh, we'll make sure that we uh, do that correctly, stuff like that. So we'll let, um, and we just let him introduce himself, so. Hey, guys, it's a pleasure to be with you. I, uh, my name's Ed Litton, and uh, started out as a church planter in Arizona. Was there for about seven and a half years, and then God, um, brought us to Mobile, Alabama, and uh, quite a bit of culture shock from the driest climate to the wettest climate in North America, and, and so uh, we're, we've been here for 27 years, and uh, got a tremendous church, very patient people that I have been pastoring for the last 27 years, and they've been very gracious to pastor me in so many ways, but uh, glad to be here, glad to be with you guys. Glad to have you. That's yeah. I always, I always get excited when I hear guys have been here there for uh, decades because uh, I just, I think sometimes somebody said it. I think it's Mark Clifton says it all the time: is that we overestimate what we can do in a year, but we underestimate what we can do in years. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's absolutely true, and it's interesting too because the longer you go, uh, it just takes a totally different kind of grace at, at, at play and God moves in people's hearts leadership decisions are different and uh and, and so we do see a lot of fruit eventually roll into to the places that we're at and, and god uses it and we're grateful awesome that's awesome why well, I, I definitely feel like my almost six years now seems like a like a blink of an eye so listen six years is nothing to sneeze at in this so, world. i mean i forget what the latest stats are on the number of the tenure of pastors uh, but, uh, you know, it's funny. People ask me, what's the secret? And I go, well, I, I'm not really sure. When I wanted to leave, nobody wanted me. And when <laughs> wanted me, I didn't want to leave. So it's just kind of worked out that way. Oh, that's good... listen, every, every Monday I go through this cycle, probably like a lot of guys. And I, you know, I consider a lot of different options, like long haul trucking, you know, no <laughs> beacons meetings, no elders meetings, just boom, go off and be by yourself and listen to whatever you want to listen to. And those are tempting at moments, but then you think, well, but there's that whole thing of God's call in your life. And so, you know, right. Chicken out. That's true. Right. Well, what's exciting about this is uh, you're our second. We're not going to 
um, you know, we, we talked on the phone earlier and so we're going to just shoot you dry, um, you know, and it's, it's been really kind of cool, cool. Um, to be able to do this. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be different now because we have the same president for the last three years, thanks to COVID. Um, and so I know that this one will be, um, there'll definitely be a change coming. And so we just wanted to provide listeners that we have, or maybe listeners we don't have who might become listeners or whatever, um, which just an opportunity to hear from you guys, because I think it's important. And on a personal level, I want to hear from you guys because I want to make an informed, um, intelligent decision on, on who's, on who I think uh, is going to, uh, who's, uh, I don't think any of you are bad guys to so make sure we say that, but it's, mm. you know, you're always looking for, I agree. for the guy whose platform lines up with kind of where you think. And so that's what I think is important to us. So um, let me, I'll, I'll go ahead and shoot the first question out um, is that what do you see as the strength and the weaknesses uh, in the Southern Baptist convention currently? I think our strength is, uh, is our unity. What, what binds Southern Baptist together is the great commission. And, and, but more importantly, I, I kind of see that at, and I'll, maybe I'll answer both questions in this, but, but I think maybe one of our more prevailing weaknesses is something that a lot of people miss. And that is that the heart of the great commission is the great commandment. Mm. Those two mm. are inseparably linked. And here's the way I put it. The gospel is the heart of our unity, but the love of Jesus is the heart of our gospel. And what happens is sometimes we lose sight of that and we, we attack each other over theological issues that we think are primary, but maybe aren't primary and or someone else doesn't think is primary. And, and we kind of turn on each other. And, and uh, I, I think ultimately this, the, the credentials that we have in this, this world is that we would love one another. Jesus made that very plain. And he said, by this, they will know you're my disciples. The hallmark must be that we've been with Jesus. And the hallmark must be that we love one another in the process of our disagreeing. And that kind of freedom has always benefited Southern Baptists in our greater purpose, which is the Great Commission. Hmm. And that's a really good way to put it. Um, yeah, I think that's, um, you know, you always... The concern you have is living in a divisive culture is that my fear is that the um, that carries over into the church and we see people on different sides of the aisle over whatever theological issue there is no less as our brothers and sisters in Christ and more as opposition. So, right. Well, I think some of that too is that the culture has become increasingly isolated. I thought it was fascinating during this last election cycle. I think it was the Washington post had an article in August about how the average American, listen to this, does not know a person who doesn't vote like they do. I saw that. Yeah. And so what does that tell you? It, it tells me that we're so isolated in our subgroups. And it's interesting because I read a couple other articles on a similar subject, and it's kind of we sort our lives. Just think of the deck of cards. We sort our lives in such a way that we don't encounter anybody who thinks differently than we do. And, and here's what I'm going to tell you, back to the weakness question. That's where Southern Baptists are struggling right now. Because our, our churches have become cliquish, clannish, whatever you want to call it. And, 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 and I think that the problem is we no longer know how to engage the other. People who are lost, people who are pagan, 
And if they don't vote like us, look like us, or think like us, we don't want anything to do with them. We're afraid of them. Oof. And Jesus said in the last days that men's heart would grow, hearts would grow cold because of fear. Fear. We fear engaging the other. We and, and this is this is killing the, the most important part of why we have unity, and that is the Great Commission. How can we love people that we don't want to talk to or we're afraid to talk to? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I can see, I mean, I think it's a great way to put it. I think that's, uh, wow, that's, uh, I think you nailed it. Yeah, that's that, that makes a, a lot of, like, a lot of sense because I look at social media and, like, I know Eric's been taking a break. I don't know if he's still on his break, but he's been taking a break from it and I've just come back into it and it's, I don't know I, I, if it's worse or what, but it's like when you have a different opinion than somebody but you're sitting there saying well let me hear your opinion they still act like you're not wanting to listen to their opinion it's, it, you, you see where it's so divisive where they're no you're not listening to what i'm saying and it's like yeah i'm, I'm listening to what you're saying and i'm putting my opinion out there but you know let's let's work together let's have a dialogue let's and um i just see it like right now i i i've uh, this morning i've seen it with a couple of friends going at it because this one believes we should be doing something this way and the other one's saying no do it this way and you try to you try to play um mediator and even the mediator gets uh you know is like the messenger gets skilled shot in the crossfire <laughs> yep Hey, Don, I want to tell you something. One of our key leaders in the SBC told me recently, he said, more fragile. Mm. And, and, and that, boy, that just, that, that rang in my soul. And, and, and so as we think about who, who should lead us in the future, we need someone who seeks genuinely to focus on the Great Commission because that's the thing that unifies us. The other thing about Southern Baptists that I'm, I'm very thankful for is the Baptist faith and message because it gives us enough elbow room that you can do ministry in Massachusetts different than I do in Mobile, Alabama. And, and we still remain brothers and cooperative together and we can help each other. Listen, you can't, you can't expand the gospel in Massachusetts without some folks in Alabama loving you and praying for you and helping you uh, and, and vice versa. We need the reverse blessing of being engaged in the gospel in other places. It helps my people, and we, we do a lot of church planting, and it's supporting of church planting, and, and it helps my people. It helps them be more open and honest with people and to accept people. For instance, we're planning, helping to plant five churches in Las Vegas. Oh, my word. <laughs> my people only thought of Las Vegas as a place they could go, and what they did stayed there, you know. But, but now it's expanding their whole view of that, and they're, they're learning that the gospel is needed everywhere. I love it. That's, uh, I think that's awesome yeah it's a great way to put it yeah no i i think i, I see what you're saying i i feel like um our unity is fractured and, and like you said i think it's almost a almost a reflection of culture as opposed to the other way around well it is and i'm going to say this the, the political culture in america is so toxic it is so dysfunctional oh my lord we've let that come into the church and we've let that come into to to our convention so that we have political expectations of one another we, we, want, we want our presidential candidates for the SBC to debate one another. And I'm going, we're not Republicans and Democrats. And, and I'm going, this is, this, we, listen, I understand people want to know, but there's different ways you can know. 
besides mm. putting guys on a stage, just like tying two cats by a string and hanging them over a clothesline, they're going to fight. Right. Yep. Which yep. I don't recommend that. PETA, please hear me. I'm not <laughs> recommending that to anybody. <laughs> don't ever do that. I've never done that. Okay. So just be clear. Oh, I know I'm getting, I'm getting uh, spoken to by a, a, my wife's cousin, who's uh, very much about environmental protection and, and uh, creation care, because I shared a thing about coyotes in our area. And I'm like, uh, this is why I carry almost every day, you know, uh, because I've seen, I've seen them. And she was like, you're going to kill them. And I'm like, I, no, you're, you're not hearing me. I'm saying <laughs> that's a, the, that's the last resort. It's right, just, right. you know, I'm warning people that coyotes are there. Well, Hey, let me tell you a quick story. We have bears. We have black bears in South Alabama kind of blows your mind. You think of that in Colorado, Arizona, or up in the mountains. And my wife and I were out walking one day and jogging, kind of walking, jogging. And we came up on one literally five feet to my right. He stirred. We scared him and startled him. And she takes off running and laughing. And I'm starting to run behind her. And she said, I said, what are you laughing about? She goes, it's the joke. I said, what joke? She goes, I don't have to run faster than the bear. I just have to run faster than you. <laughs> and so uh, it just tells you a little bit of, of my marriage relationship but Kathy is awesome and she's a great athlete. So she definitely had me. I was, I was going to be bear meat, but I think we oh. startled him more than he startled us. Oh, that, that just reminds me of a hunting trip, but that's another story. That's whole another story. <laughs> yeah. So Ed, um, let me ask you, um, what are some of the, the biggest um, changes that you want to see if you uh, come into the presidency of the SBC um, what are some of those changes that you'd like to see happen? Well, first of all, I, I think um, I think one of the things that we're finding it very difficult to wrestle with, uh, quite frankly, is racial reconciliation. And um, I, I want to, as clear as I can, I engaged in this subject locally starting about seven years ago. And, and to my regret, I didn't start it 27 years ago. When I first moved to my area, I saw a very unique racial makeup, a unique kind of stress and strain on the people uh, of both sides of that. Uh, we have a very difficult history in Mobile, Alabama. The last slave ship in America offloaded in Mobile. We, uh, the last lynching was in 1986, I think. I mean, that's current history for us. And, and so uh, it's very real, deep divide, separate parallel universes that we, we share here. And uh, after Ferguson, I started meeting with a group of pastors and some civic leaders and people in the law profession. And we, small group, eight to 10, maybe 12. And every two weeks we would meet and we were counseled well to not try to solve the problem, but to learn how to learn how to love each other. And every two weeks we would meet. And I'm telling you guys, we had some of the most gut-wrenching conversations. My reading changed. I started listening to people differently. I started learning some things that I was totally unaware of, and I'm a history student, but I was blown away how my history studies had been directed in a certain way. And so a lot of my opinions about things that were very precious and important to me, I began to challenge. And what happened, lo and behold, is that God knit our hearts together. It took us a long time to figure out that the real solution to the problem was the gospel. And I'm going to just tell you one real quick thing. There was never in seven years, 
did anyone in any of those discussions ever bring up critical race theory? Not once. We had no idea what it was. And I'm with some very bright, intelligent people. We had never heard of it. Uh, and, and so we've learned a lot about it since, just in the last year, since the resolution that was brought up in uh, Birmingham. But, but the reality is that was never our motive, and that's not the solution. Uh, but I want to tell you, what I did learn is we disrespect and dishonor people when we're not at the table with them and when we don't listen to one another. And, and so I, I think people talk about this conversation in Southern Baptist life. I'll be honest with you. I don't see the conversation happening in the way it needs to. And what I hope is that what happened here in Mobile and is happening in Mobile could happen in other places. And thank God it does. It's happened in Charleston. It's happening in Montgomery. Here's the irony. The irony is that some of the most notorious slave cities of the South, God has raised up groups that are looking at this subject, getting real with one another, crossing those lines and loving one another. And, and we really believe it's the power of the gospel. And, and so I think that's, that's an issue that is so important. And let me say this. I think a lot of people, again, are afraid because in the culture, the clamor is condemnation with no escape. There's no solution to this problem. Only thing for a lot of people is just to live in denial of it. Mm. And, and denial hasn't helped us. Mm. That makes, yeah. Um, I know uh, I'm trying to think of how to, how to frame this in the conversation, but like, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I had posted something um recently and it turned into a huge debate between um someone who i would say is in your camp like they're they're a rough as nails um biker type of guy loves christ works with the homeless the underprivileged and, and everything else and then we have someone else who's come into the conversation and just really I'm trying to think of how to, how to, how to say this, but basically the, the other person said that the issue that he had was um, the, the person is talking about systematic uh, racism, but because the way that they're describing it, it's still not healthy and not healing what needs to be healed because they're making still the, people feel the way that we're trying to move them to which is right. what he was saying and right. so i don't know if that's the kind of conversation that you're you're talking about you've well, been having me, yeah among my people i i do not use the word racist and and i learned that from john perkins john perkins is an acquaintance and a man i dearly respect been on the front lines of reconciliation almost all of his adult life and and john says i don't use that word he says <coughs> as bad as using other kind of words pejorative terms for people of a different race and, and so I, I agree with that do we have systemic racism history is undeniable what we don't have is systemic reconciliation we need and and only the body of christ can do this this is what we can bring to the table but we've got so much stuff up here that we've got to process through and, and we've got to love one another, reach out to one another. And it's one of the most complicated and difficult problems we face. But I believe in the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit and the word of God to help us face it in a way that glorifies the Lord. Here's the other thing. Let's just be very practical. In your church, like my church, I want my people 
planting the gospel wherever they go. But if they live in fear of someone who's different than them, they're not going to do it. And, and so one of the ways we do that is we say, well, let's get to know these people. Let's get to talk. Let's get, to, let's get real. Let's be humble. Let's learn. And at the same time, let's share our experiences with them. That's not guilt. That's not shame from our past. It's just simply saying, this is where we are. And I believe the gospel is the solution for where we need to go. God help us if the church doesn't do this, guys. No, it sounds good. If, who else? Who else is going to do it? It's been so politicized. Politicians aren't going to do it. Yep. No, you're right. And, and that's the thing. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, I can't speak for Eric, but uh, both of us have seen it in uh, different groups, even, even within the Southern Baptist, there are, um, you know, you, you have those personal groups on uh, social media and you can see the division that exists right there. So well, and somebody, somebody, I, I see this often in social media. And somebody made a statement. They said, uh, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna repent for something I didn't do." And my response to that is, "Well, let me ask you something. Do you believe indifference is a sin?" And the response was, "Yes." So then we all have a lot to repent of. Because here's the truth, guys. If I and Jesus told us the perfect parable for this. If I'm going down the road and I come upon a man who's beat, left, and bleeding in the ditch, I look the other way. First step is they looked and they stepped around was the second step. Until a guy who was racially despised came up on his donkey, picked him up, bound up, stopped the bleeding, took him to a hotel, checked him in, took care of him, paid for it, and promised to do more. It's necessary to heal him. Who's in that ditch? Maybe a white guy, maybe a black guy, maybe a Hispanic guy, an Asian guy, but, but we all can wind up in that ditch. I think Jesus masterfully told that story so that the lawyer who asked the question, who's my neighbor, was actually the guy in the ditch. And the guy that helped him was the despised man. Mm. And, and so the reality is, gee, what's he doing? He's making us deal with our stuff. He's making us face the things that we don't want to face. That's true. That's true. So I, my hope is, and that's not the only thing you asked me, I, I, we've got to get focused again, not just on the great commission, but the great commandment of how we treat one another. We need a civil discourse within our family. And let me tell you, family can get rough. And, and we all have those uncles that you want to lock away in a closet, but you don't dare do it because the reality is they're our family. And so we've got to work this out and, and we've got to love one another and trust that by this, the world will know that we are his disciples because we're acting like he acts. Does Jesus back down from confronting us? No way. No. But you always felt loved when he confronted you. Hmm. I, I have to agree. I think that's one of the biggest issues that we have is, is that there is not a discourse that happens. It's, it's very camps, my camp, your camp, you know, where do you, it's even how guys tend to identify themselves you know, when they're talking about kind of where they land, theologically, mission, missiology, you know, all those kinds of things. And I, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and say, I don't think there's a huge issue with that, so to speak. Um, but I just think that the problem becomes, especially, I mean, you know, I mean, I went to a, you know, I'll, I'll compare the SBC. I went to a huge high school. I graduated 500 people. You know what I mean? You're going to have clicks because you're, you, you just physically can't have a relationship with 500 people in your class. Like it's just, I it's not it's not possible so 
Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think the issue becomes is when the camps or the cliques within the SBC don't communicate and don't get along with one another. And or, I, or I would say to your analogy, they try to overpower the other people. And basically it's a power play. Yeah, there you go. There's a, there's a, there's a great way to put it. That's, that's a, that's a great way to put it. So I think, I think all of that like plays in together and all of that really. um, Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like, I like what you're saying, Ed, about the, uh, the great, the great commission is uh, stronger when you put the great commandment there. And um, too many people, I think, forget that at times, like they just, they think they, okay, we got to go out there. We got to do this, but you know, I mean, like I, I had a, I had a, uh, a mentor once tell me, you know, tell me the 10 commandments in two simple statements. And I didn't get what he was getting at. And he broke it down. It's the, yep. It's the two greatest commandments, you know? And I was like, wow, you know, and it's always stuck with me. In fact, even, even Sunday, I just uh, used it while preaching and, um, you know, we, we got to remember that that's what we're called to do is love our neighbors. And uh, even even when we talk politically, it's like, hey, you got to you got to pray for this president, right. whether you like him or not. We're we're commanded. And that's, that's right. what loving our neighbor is. That's right. And, you know, smiling at people is an amazing, powerful way to love people. Smiling at a stranger and engaging in conversation. It, it's a, it opens the door of their heart. It opens the door of your heart. And this isn't some soft sell. This isn't liberalism, guys. This is biblical. And, and we are commanded. We, we don't let go of our theology. We take that theology, but it's becoming irrelevant because we've isolated. And here's what we do. We make our theological training more important than the Great Commission. Mm. And we say, this is the basis of our fellowship. Everybody's got to think this way about women in ministry. Everybody's got to think this way about CRT. Everybody's got to think this way and this way about this issue and that issue. And, and the problem is that's we, we're ignoring the very document that we have made to help us stay cooperative. And, and I'll right. tell you, when we're fighting, we're not giving. Hmm. And, and the truth is, we desperately need resources to go to the frontiers of Southern Baptist life. And it's not the South. This is not the frontier. I love the South. I love the people of the South because you know what? They tithe. I, a woman in my church runs the blood bank in Mobile. You know what she said? She goes, the people who faithfully give blood are the people who tithe. She goes, we call them tithers in our business. And, and she <laughs> goes, I promise you, they tithe in your church. And that, that kind of blew my mind. But I thought, you know what? She's right. And, and so that's what Boston needs. That's what Mobile needs. That's what Denver, Tucson needs, Seattle. We need the people of God to, to live it out. Hey, here's the other thing. I just wrapped up Sunday, a series on Daniel. And, and here's how I challenge my church. We are now in a post, we're, we're in an exilic period. We are exiles. The country you were born into, the country you thought America is or was, is now changed dramatically. And I'm not just talking about the last election cycle either. This has been going on. This has been a huge wave for some time. But the reality is God told the people of Israel in exile for their own sins to go into the city to seek the welfare of the city. And he said, and your welfare will be found in that, in the welfare mm -hmm. of that city. 
Daniel did it, Hananiah did it, Michelle did, uh, Azariah did it. We know Nehemiah did it. We know Ezra did it. We know there were people who believed the false prophets. What did the false prophets tell them? False prophets, a guy named Hananiah said, don't go into the city. He said, so they developed the synagogue system. Let's have our own little click. Let's have our own little cult. Let's have our own place where we study scripture, keep our kids from being sucked into the world. And you can't do it. That's not how you do it. You do it by obedience to the word of God. And, and, and you, we, our children will be safer in a wicked city. Living for Christ in that city with a mom and dad and a church family that lives for Christ in that city representing his love. They'll be safer there than they will be at the most expensive Christian college. Mm. That's good stuff. Guys, I'm telling you, gospel engagement is the key. And that's why we can talk about the Great Commission. And it's so it's so it's so standard to do that. But if we're not actually in the city doing it, if we're not actually sending people, training our people to engage the lostness around them, um, they're not coming to hear me preach. They're not coming for those reasons. And, and they're not coming for free pizza either. <laughs> their world is falling apart they're crying out That's like true. they did in, at, the, at the end of the movie titanic is there anyone alive out here mm. that reminds me that reminds me of the old uh example that uh we're in the lifeboat uh, that's the the cross and uh we're supposed to be calling out and bringing the lost into the lifeboat yes yep yeah, that's good. That's a good way to put it. All right, well, Eric, you want to ask the next one? Yeah, no, I was um, I was um, was going to ask right now. So, um, I'm glad that you brought up critical race theory because that's been a a uh, a hot button point of contention within our um within our uh, you think opinion. yeah a little bit. So um, I would say the two, and, and one of them doesn't affect us, and I'm not sure how much it affects other people. I've heard it more um, from churches in the South, uh, with, uh, and I've seen it online with people buying into some of the QAnon um, things. I don't know if that's something you deal with. Um, that's, I, I, people up here, that's not even a thing. But um, so I would say between that and not less so, and more so with the critical race theory and intersectionality, um, I would see those as the two major conflicts in, in Southern Baptist life right now. Um, not two, not the major, but two of the major conflicts. Um, how do you think is the best way for us to deal with those? And I don't mean like, hey, like, let's let's get a discourse on what you think about both of them. But we just I think we just have to come to the realization that there's people who deeply buy into those um, and understand that. And how do we deal with um, the conflict that comes um, amongst people? Who, um, who are on both sides of this, of these conflicts? Well, let me, let me say this. I don't think I'm in a position to comment on Resolution 9. I, I want to say that Southern Baptists spoke in Birmingham, and we will very likely in Nashville speak again on this subject. Don't you agree? The nature of the controversy you just pointed out. So without going into Resolution 9, I think the issue of critical race theory for Southern Baptists, and I think this is what really intensified the pain of the situation was that we had men speak to that, dismiss it outright without listening to anybody from the other side. Mm -hmm. and, and let me say something about 
the hard work of racial reconciliation, week in, week out, year in, year out, is that unless you listen to another person's pain and unless you care, there is no platform for come, let us reason together. And, and listen, I, I, I've studied and looked at it now and, and I could see exactly the concerns that a lot of people have, but it's wrong to call me a Marxist because I seek racial reconciliation. Matter of fact, I seek any kind of reconciliation. You're right in line with the word of God, but especially with people who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're, they're deeply wounded by things that have happened and happen, still happen in our time. And so we, we need a conversation. It will not be based on CRT. It will not be over CRT. It's going to be over the gospel. And that's something my African-American brothers and sisters in Christ understand. Now, I want to tell you that some people have discredited many African-Americans theology. I don't. I have learned to respect their theology. I've learned to love them. But here's the deal. If I'm not at the table, if someone, white or black, is, in, is errant in their theology, I will never have a voice to address it, speak to it, or try to reason with them if I'm not at the table. And so... To me, that's the key issue, and and and, and I believe that uh, I believe that the dismissal of somebody or a theory is what it is. It's a theory that was attempting to seek justice, and I think at at its best, that's what you can say. And then we hear about its worst, uh, and and I'm not arguing with that because I know that there are people and there are horrible examples put on Twitter of people who have gone to the extreme with CRT. But I, I don't believe that's where Southern Baptists are. I think Southern Baptists are good people. They're godly people who want to do what's right. But but they're, they just don't know where to start. Hmm. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me tell you one other thing. My, you mentioned a while ago that you knew the story, my story of, of losing my wife, Tammy, uh, 14 years ago, my daughter was 13 in the car accident with her and, and, and was injured. And years later, we had to have surgery on her back. And uh, we ran into a complication that lasted over a year. She had to live with a wound vac that helped to try to get a wound that was made from surgery to close up. The doctor told me something I did not understand until that moment. He said, Ed, all wounds have to heal from the inside out. And he said, the skin that God made always wants to cover it up. Now think of this analogy. We have a 450 plus year wound in America of slavery and racism, right? And so that wound keeps getting open because skin, the color of a person, we, we, try to, we, try to, we try to cover it up. It's in our nature to say, we're done with that. We're finished. You're free. You're this, you got the Civil Rights Act, you got all these other things. And we don't realize that's not how wounds heal. And, and there is a healing bomb, but it's not found in ignoring it, looking away and walking around. It, it's in engaging. It's in loving one another. It's becoming friends. And that's, that's the starting point. I don't mean to oversimplify it, and I'm not practicing reductionism. I, but I believe you've got to start somewhere. And what we've seen in Mobile is we haven't solved all of our problems and not everybody's down here singing Kumbaya. Uh, it's caused real resistance. You know, uh, maybe it's, maybe that's what's kept us from having the, 
QAnon uh, as much as an issue, but we have conspiracy theorists at our church, but most of them, we just kind of smile and go, okay, we're brothers in Christ, but we're not living by that stuff. We, we don't propagate conspiracy theories, but the reality is uh, we're seeing progress and it's encouraging. It's encouraging. We're learning to love each other. That's good. It's exciting. That's uh, yeah. I think it's a good response to it. Um, you know, like I said, the QAnon things, I've just seen it, uh, seen pastor friends i know post stuff about it i'm like yeah that's uh that must be a southern thing because people up here i don't even think that's a thing up here it's pretty big in the west it's pretty big big in the central part of the country but you know you when you get as old as i am you've been around for a while uh, uh, y2k was a big deal i remember that oh, yes and we had people that wanted to literally turn our church property into a farm uh and with a silo they wanted to build a silo and store grain i'm going <laughs> Have you lost your mind? You know, and of course, nothing happened. Yeah, yep. yeah. that didn't happen. So. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I keep. I'll, I'll. I'll. I don't know. I keep hearing conspiracies, and I just smile and nod. And <laughs> well, I think we have an idea of what Paul felt like when when he talked about wives' tales, and no no disrespect to wives, but uh, when he talked about these rumors that were spreading. And, you know, here's the deal, guys. Every ounce of energy we give to those idiot ideas, those idiotic ideas, we're not giving to the Great Commission. We are wasting mm -hmm. precious time. Mm -hmm. we, we need to be out preaching the gospel. And, and here's the other thing. COVID has been devastating. It's, everybody's been in the same boat on COVID, but some churches have been decimated by it. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about replanting and planting, uh, my challenge is, and this is part of the video that I, I afforded to you guys, my challenge is our churches need to look around and say, who can we help? What can we do to lift them up? How can we encourage each other? And instead of being our competition down the road, these are people that are coming in and helping us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we've had, uh, we've had the church down the streets. Uh, now we, we have a non-denominational mega church, uh, at least in, in New England sense. There, there are 1,303 uh, three campuses, but um, uh, the pastor there has just been like, how can we help? And he's, he's not just helping like us. He's helping all the, all the churches in the uh, town because yeah. uh, he's like, what kind of neighbor am I if I can't take care of my brothers and sisters and, and that even go to other churches? So right. if your ox is in the ditch, how can I help? No, I like it. I think that's a, I think it's a good way to put it. Yeah, definitely. Listen, I here, guys, I want to tell you back to our theological preferences. Yeah. When that's the center of Southern Baptist life, we're in trouble. Yeah. When the great commission is the center of Southern Baptist life and the love of Jesus is the center of our great commission, things are going to change. CP giving is going to change. Yeah. And mm -hmm. other cooperation is going to change. We're going to start caring less about the other stuff, the stuff that doesn't matter. And, and we're going to move forward together. That's the key. Let me say this. I, I serve on the board of one of our seminaries now, and it's one that's under constant assault. And, and I've been on for several years on this board, and I've been on the Academic Affairs Committee. Not a single professor that comes through there escapes being grilled by, by the team I'm on. We grill them about the word of God, all of our confessional statements, Danvers, all of those. And then before they leave, they, after they give a full-throated approval of the inerrancy 
uh, of God's word will then say, if you change your mind, would you be willing to resign instead of us having to fire you? Because we'll fire you in the drop of a hat. Yes, yeah. we will quit before we will ever teach anything opposite than what we believe. Now, guys, people keep saying that there's liberalism in our seminaries. There's not liberalism. And the other, the, what does concern me, and this is a problem that we're ignoring, and it's that we're seeing fewer men go into gospel ministry. You can chirp all day long that you think a man's the only one who can hold the position of elder, which I happen to believe. But we are lacking young men who want to be pastors, who want to go out and rescue ch churches that are dying or want to go plant churches. And, and so that's not the fault of the seminary. That's the fault of my church. We're not calling men out. We're not calling men to that place of responsibility, maybe because we're spending all our time tweeting about a church that calls their pastor anything but a minister or Mrs. or whatever. Hmm. I went too far. No, no, it's good. It's good to think about. Yeah. I, you know, I think there's a, a lot of, a lot of truth in the idea that we, that as churches, we, uh, we just don't really call men, uh, to lead anymore so yeah yeah that's you, a whole that, that'll be a whole that's a whole podcast unto it so <laughs> yeah yeah no <laughs> what you're saying it reminds me of paul's words to timothy about you know not quarreling about words and uh you know it, it becomes a thing of are we arguing over secondary and tertiary issues and um if we stop doing that what good could we do if we just focused on the on the gospel message amen all right so uh i will ask the last question in this which you've kind of already touched upon on but uh because over the last uh decade church revitalization has really started to uh be noticed uh not just among southern baptists other other denominations are picking up on this but um what would you uh you know what are your thoughts on supporting uh revitalization in um, the Southern Baptist Convention. Do you, let me ask you a question. Are you talking about uh, the status of having line item budgets that go specifically to that issue or? Um, it would be anything like, you know, uh, what kind of support, um, what, you know, because uh, I know like we have NAM that does uh, replant with Mark Clifton, but right. uh, you know, what, what are some of your ideas for helping uh, revitalizers because uh, you know Eric and I can can speak from you know what we've heard in the field is uh, there are some guys that feel that they're still getting left uh, left out with crumbs right. well let me say this I, I believe that just as and I think Nam has this philosophically down I, I think churches plant churches and I think churches also revitalize churches what we need is relationship we need our churches not to be spending most of our budget on ourselves. We need our churches pairing out more and more resources to go for planting and revitalization. So my vision and dream would be that churches would be encouraged and helped and assisted to go on mission trips, to take people out to see what God is doing and what the need is and finding ways that we can come alongside. Right now we're currently doing about nine or 10 church plants. And I, honestly, we don't have a revitalization right now, uh, but we've got nine or 10 church plants. But in those, we are deeply invested in the lives of those church planters. 
uh, to the point where we bring them in for a vacation at Orange Beach. We bring them in to preach, let our people hear them. We bring them in to love on them, to encourage them. They call us and say, hey, we've got this situation. We need help. COVID has been devastating because most of our plants were meeting in schools. Right. Mm -hmm. And so how do we, we help them with technology? One of our technology leaders is going next week uh, to Vegas to, uh, <laughs> he says, to, to gamble. But no, he's, he's going out <laughs> to help with a brand new start, startup of a church plant. So as much energy as we've given to that, I want to see churches also begin to give energy to revitalization. And so I think it's, it's powerful, it's important, but I do, uh, and, and the, the denomination or the, the convention, like through North American Mission Board, can help. They can help give direction, like with Mark Clifton, who's done an amazing job, but he needs help. And I'm sure he would welcome hordes of churches saying, we want to help. Right. We want to help. And by the way, you don't have to be a big church to help. Uh, the culture has shifted so much, and I've seen it in my lifetime. Uh, several years ago, I was at a meeting where the president of Walmart was there, and somebody asked him who his biggest competition was. He said, well, who do you think it is? And somebody said, Target. He laughed. He said, Target's not even close. He said, I'm going to tell you who keeps me up at night. He said, who keeps me up at night is Dollar General. He said, because there's two of those between you and your local Walmart supercenter. And he said, they took Sam's original concept and they're killing us with it. Now, this was several years ago and the average CEO only lasts two and a half years. So that guy's already gone. And so anybody at Walmart, don't look for your current president to fire. It's just a fact. But I got to thinking about churches. And guys, big churches are like big box stores in some ways. And, and people are looking, they're not looking for buildings. They're not looking for programs. They're looking for relationship. Mm. They're looking for hope. And you don't have to have a fancy worship set to give people hope. A smile will give people hope. Loving somebody where they're at. So we intentionally, it changed how we, we do our ministry from the standpoint of seeing ourselves as a big box. Because we have a great corner and we've got a lot of visibility. But we started saying, let's go intentionally plant ourselves in other parts of our city where our people live. So that we can reach those people with the gospel because they don't want to go to Walmart. They want to stop at Dollar General. Now that analogy breaks down, but that's kind of my thinking. Right. No, I mean, all analogies are going to break down at some point, but that's a good one. I think you, I think that's a good, I think that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, you know, you're talking about the smiles and the relationships and we've done, like we had, um, Oh, I can't even think of their name now. Um, I know they're out of JD Greer's church, or at least they were, um, but they, they came to help us uh, redo our website and make some videos for us. Creative Missions, that's their name. There you go. And, and they, um, they uh, did three videos for us. And all three videos, like that's what the theme was, was they were just talking about like, you're going to learn, you're going to learn the Bible here, but you know, you're also going to find your family. And we had one uh, one young lady who was so disenfranchised because she had, gone to some of these like the bigger churches because that's what she heard was where she would uh fit in and she said i fit i fit in with this group because as soon as i sat down it felt like my people yeah and that's something mm. so you have an advantage that a big box doesn't and and so and and that's and and whatever you have that's what god's given you i love oswald chambers he said you cannot be where you're not and so wherever you are, man, be that for the glory of God. And, and if you've got a big brother or sister that can come along and say, 
hey, let us help you. Let me tell you the other thing we learned. We started in international missions long before we ever started with what we call, used to call home missions. And what we learned was you always trust the missionary. You never go in and tell the missionary what you're going to do for them. And it, it humbled us. But it was also the best thing we could have learned because that's what we still do in our international and in our church planting. And I would hope revitalization that that ultimately we, we go to hear you. You're the missionary. You know how to reach people. What can we do to help you do that? And you wouldn't refuse that. You'd yeah. welcome that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'd always I, I'd always welcome help wherever I can get it, including from Eric, <laughs> who's <laughs> who's actually uh, come out here and helped us uh, quite a number of times. So, yeah. do what we can. So. Well, I think, uh, man, I think that's a that's a lot um, to take in. I, you know, what I I, I really enjoyed hearing your heart. You're very passionate about what you're what you're uh, what you're uh, wanting to do and, and what you're what you, what you are currently doing in your church. And I and I think that's that's I think it's incredible. And uh, I'm thankful to hear it. It's very refreshing. Um, I, I love love what you said about how we have to make the grand commandment much more um, integral in the way that we do things and, you know, seeing, seeing, even seeing people that we disagree with. I, um, we were just, I don't know, we're, we're preaching through our, our core values and kind of our, uh, our mission statement right now. And one of the things that we talked about, we always talk about is, uh, um, you know, knowing that everybody's created in the image of God, Um, you know, we're all image bearers and, you know, it's, I, I think you, you, you said that probably much better than I'm going to, but, you know, we have to look at the people and treat them with the respect and the love and the dignity that being an image bearer of God um, uh, warrants, you know, even if I disagree with you on everything, you're still made in God's image. And, That's right. you know, it's even more so for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ is that we That's need right. to, you know, remember what unifies us and agree to disagree in, in some of the other things that, that, that we disagree with. And I think you're, you're, you know, that's a good way to put it, knowing that the um, Baptist faith, the message gives so much breath and so much leeway that you can do things one way, but if, as long as we, you keep the main thing, the main thing, and I keep the main thing, the main thing, then there shouldn't be any kind of friction. We should be able to say, well, you know what, we disagree in that area, but at the end of the day, you know, you're both, we're both still believers. And absolutely. I want to tell you, I want to confess a sin of my generation, Eric and, and Don. The sin of the sin of my generation. We didn't use the Imago Day as a concept. We, it was, it, it was somehow not completely left out, but we didn't use it to actually practically see other people in that light. Uh, we saw them as something, but we didn't see them as image bearers, and that wasn't really stressed in my time. But I will say this: it has become critical to our thinking. And, and, you know, race in itself is a construct, uh, but, but ethnicity is the divine creation of a holy God. He made us different ethnic groups. I am not ashamed of how he made me. It's how he made me. That's his, that's his business. But at the same time, I don't have to be. And I can also appreciate everyone else who bears his image. Even people who are in a lifestyle that I find abhorrent or a lifestyle that I know is, is biblically wrong, I can still love them and see them through his eyes and see their value that would drive him to the cross. And then if we see their value, it's much easier to love them 
it's much easier to share the gospel with them because they're mm. a human being. That's right. Um, creating God's image and not an enemy of what we of, of our theological position. That's right. Right. And here again, that's what I mean when I say when we're when our theological position is at the core of who we are. Ah, we've forgotten the gospel. And we're right. arguing over tertiary issues. We're arguing over things that are not not as critical as the heart of our Savior. I think, um, I, I mean, there's, there's somebody said it once and, um, you know, it's when, when we argue about um, how we share the gospel, you know, mission strategies, I think is one of them. And so I can't remember who said it, but he was like, you know what, I, if, if I'm out sharing the gospel, I like my mission strategy better than yours, which isn't you, should, which, which is you doing doesn't lead you to share the gospel. That's right. <laughs> really? I think I, Moody said something very much like that. I like the way I do lead people to Christ rather than the way you don't. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's the case. Like at the end of the day, like, cool. You, if you have a great theological position, but if that doesn't drive you to a deeper love for Christ, a deeper love for people and a deeper desire to share the gospel, then it's, it, it doesn't really matter how correct you are. Cause it's horrible. I mean, yeah. Paul says it in first Corinthians, you're, you're a, you're a symbol and a banging gong. And Well, let me tell you what I think has happened in, in, in Southern Baptist life. And we, we need to take this very seriously we may be finding ourselves becoming pharisaical in the worst way. Um, we're good people in the worst possible way. Um, and that is that we, we, we cherish our goodness as a means of gaining God's favor. Mm. And, mm. Uh, and that's not what this is about. That's not the gospel that came to my drunk daddy and led him to Christ, which ultimately revolutionized my family and made a radical for Jesus out of my dad and me. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful for people ask me why I'm Southern Baptist. I say, well, they're the ones who came and got us. We never darkened the door of a church, right. but they came and got us. And, and we said, and then after we got here, we said, Hey, we like these people and we like what they do and what they believe. And you know what? We haven't figured it all out guys. We don't know everything. Nope. We're yeah. learning. We're growing. Yeah. And I think, you know, that we can remember that we're a convention of imperfect people. And uh, I think that'll, uh, that'll go a long ways um, towards uh, restoring some semblance of unity amongst us. So, so. wow. Well, this is this has been really good, Ed. Um, I'm uh, thank you for uh, agreeing to to speak with us and uh, share your your thoughts. And I mean, it's it's been good. It really has been. It's been good to meet you and. Uh, wow. I just, I just gotta say you've even given, a, I think you've given me and Eric stuff to think about because I've known, I've known Eric two, two, three years now, three years. And, uh, been a while. I, 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 I know him well enough to, to know when he's been thinking. So. <laughs> yeah. My wife comes into the room. I'm sitting there quiet and she goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm thinking, she goes, looks like you're doing nothing. I said, that's what thinking looks like. <laughs> <laughs> It's just me and the girls in the house now. So if they come to the room and it's quiet, my wife's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm just enjoying the quiet. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Just the quiet. That's true <laughs> maybe I'm thinking, maybe I'm just staring at the wall, but it's, uh, I'm enjoying the quiet. <laughs> that's, that's the advantages of living in the church right now. Cause I can just come to my office for peace and quiet. So, and my wife knows like if she, she comes in and sees me in here, she's like, okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well i'd love to come visit you guys sometime it'd be a ple it'd be a pleasure and a privilege we'd love to have you yeah i'd love to have you let's do it
I, I'd very much like to visit you like in February's. <laughs> yes, that, that, that's a good time to visit us. March is good. February's great. So come on down, guys. We'd love to have you. Water's warm. Yeah, the only problem that's bad about that is that when we get off the plane, it's snowing. So, you know. Like I said, I don't mind visiting snow. Just uh, living in it. So, uh, well, he he just he was just down in Florida, so uh, he came back to snow. Awesome. He came back and it was snowing, just like within ten minutes of me getting off the plane. <laughs> I looked at my wife. I was like, "Can we just go back? Can we just, can we just go back?" Yes. Now, yeah. <laughs> now we're gonna home face the kids. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> well, uh, with that final laugh um i guess i'll close this out so um for eric malloy and ed litton uh this is don mckinnon and saying god bless we love you we're praying for you and uh just keep on looking to god for your strength Amen. Bye.